0: Welcome, everybody, into another edition of No Character Limits. I am your host, Greg Esposito. Happy to be back after a little bit of a hiatus and excited to have my very first guest and my first guest as a post-Suns employee for me, and it had to be the one and only Paul Coro of AZ Central Sports. We're going to talk some Suns. Paul, how are you, man?
1: I don't think anybody would agree that it had to be me. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I, I, but, but I knew my, it had to be you, and that's all that matters. <laughs> uh, I'm good. Uh, end of season is
1: always a a nice clean break. You know, a lot of people grind at the same stuff all year, and we when we do this kind of job. We basically have two different types of years: the the season year and the off season year.
0: Well, yeah, and that off season has become more and more. uh busy i remember my first season five years ago it was like okay but now it feels like there's something every other week in the offseason it's not really a break anymore
1: no no it's like it's it's hard to sometimes when people go oh what are you gonna do all now that the season's over yeah you, know, <laughs> you want to like complain to people too much but it it's gonna be non-stop as usual there'll be a coaching search there'll be a month of draft workouts and draft combine and uh, you know, a draft lottery in there, and that'll roll right into free agency and signings and summer league, and uh, it, the NBA doesn't really s- slow down at all until August.
0: Yeah. Well, before we get into this off season, uh, I think we have to do a bit of a post mortem on uh, whatever that was that we just uh, lived through. And Now, I got out ab- about a month early, but uh, you you slogged through that final month. How is the best way? To describe the 2015-16 Phoenix Suns season for you,
1: uh, tumultuous. It was. Just, it was. There was things that happened in that season that you couldn't write in a fiction basketball book. <laughs> no, it wouldn't make sense if I tried to uh, create a storyline that that played out like it did. Just and not so much the whole season, but really a, a two-month chunk in the middle of it where. Every week was like really what else you know like and it, it wasn't just season-ending injuries to key players or um, you know massive losing streaks and blowouts or but there was like assistant coach firings weeks before a head coach firing and players throwing towels at the coach and players well when I say players we just say Marquise <laughs> uh, getting in fights on the bench and just uh, unimaginable the things that could happen to one franchise. You know, I, I remember talking to Tyson Chandler in the middle of it, and, you know, he just summed it up basically in two words. He's like, too much, just too much.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, you you felt like every time you'd say, well, hey, this has got to be rock bottom, then you'd find a new low about uh, two days later, sometimes within hours of saying that phrase. And I know, you know, both media and those of us that were on the inside were, were saying the same thing. It really, it felt like... You were uh, on the inside, basically a punching bag, for for a good two month stretch, like you said. It just felt like every time you turned a corner, you walked straight into a wall, face first.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're right about. I, I kept on calling it the season of limbo. Like how how low can you go? <laughs> you're right. You would think there was a a low moment, and we all swore that losing at home to Philadelphia. With Jerry Colangelo and Mike D'Antoni's first game and Ish Smith's first game around the team had to be the low point, and then things happened that, after that that were worse.
0: Oh well, yeah, that whole month after that loss was was Twilight Zone-esque. It was just bizarre, and that isn't even a fair description of it. It just it didn't make sense, uh, no matter how much you thought about it, and. It, it just it was a very very weird season in general, and yet somehow this team winds up with only the fourth worst record, and it felt like it had to have been an all time low for an NBA season at times.
1: Well, and I think we always look at it in the perce- perception of this franchise, this franchise that's been the fourth winningest in NBA history, and what you know those of us who have seen it for decades. Uh, have come to know it as this is this era is not <laughs> consistent with that at all it's going not just going without playoffs since two thousand and ten but um, the longest playoff drought in uh, franchise history but this season arguably being the worst in franchise history it might not be the worst record compared to the uh sixteen and sixty six team of the inaugural year but that was an inaugural year nobody's nobody's expecting uh anything more than than a terrible record from that team of castoffs from other other teams in a in a league that was half the size of the NBA. Now this team had playoff aspirations and big talk about improvement and not just getting in the playoffs. The guys talking about being the four or five seed and then uh, and then they go through a stretch like uh, where they win what uh, one game in in twenty at one point yep or one game in twenty. Uh, yeah, one game out of 20 in one stage.
0: Well, a lot of fans have asked this, and I've wondered it myself. I would love your perspective on it. Was this a worse team than the 2012-13 Phoenix Suns?
1: It's just, uh, it's different. Like, I know the, the parallel thing natural for people because of the whole, like, fire mid midseason, coach firing and interim. But to me, that would there was so much more that happened to this team than that one. That one was just a badly constructed team. <laughs> and and uh and and maybe this one had some of that elements too, but the the injuries were certainly a different factor for this one and and uh <laughs> that just the dynamic of of where that one went was was different. Um I I I think this this season was <sighs> Boy, it's hard hard for me to pin down the biggest difference. I think that just the expectation probably more than anything is the biggest difference. Yeah. To, because it was such a letdown for what people expected. I mean, I, I I'm right there with everybody. I was wrong. I I thought this team was ready to contend for like you know that seven through nine play, mm-hmm. range in the West that would put them in the playoff race. And basically, I mean, it, as it proved in the West, all it would have taken was a 500 season to do that. So I don't think anybody going into the year wouldn't have thought that this team was capable of playing 500 ball. Um, But we had a lot of fool gold in the beginning about this team. And, even when they were seven, five, there were some things that just weren't right. uh, Even chemistry wise that that eventually played out.
0: I think that this team actually had talent where outside of Gorn in that uh, 2012, 13 season, I don't, I don't think there was a lot there. And, Honestly, I didn't, I didn't believe in the process that that was going on in that 2012-13 season with Lance Blanks at the Helms. Here you could see what what the plan was. Injuries decimated this team. Uh, when Eric Bledsoe went out, that was that was the death knell. You knew there was no chance to come back. I think if maybe he stays healthy, maybe they stay a little closer to that playoff picture because he was having a fantastic year but there the difference the main difference for me outside of there was expectations going into this year is the fact that the cupboard isn't bare going into next year there is young talent and there is a future for this team where when you looked at 2012-13 at you thought okay this is rock bottom from a talent standpoint because at that point it was Michael Beasley who was being championed as the talent on that roster. And we all know how that played out. So.
1: Yeah. And going into that off season, I think there was a feeling at one point that, that Lance Blanks and Lindsay Hunter were going to be back for the next season. We weren't convinced that they, huh. that that was enough to, to have both of them out. And perhaps if. If uh, Lance Blake's is a replaced, maybe Lindsey Hunter was still there, and uh, because they were certainly a tandem at the time. (laughs) But you're right; there was no hope on that team, and in you know as as great a guy as Louis Scola was, you know him being one of the most confident professionals on that team, besides Goran or or Gortat, wasn't a a sign of the future when the rest of the Corps is, you know, guys like Beasley and Shannon Brown and. Jermaine
0: O'Neal. <laughs> Don't forget Wesley Johnson on that list. I mean, It's not, it's not fair to leave Wes off that. Uh, <laughs> Don't let the smile fool you, Wesley Johnson. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, I, I thought it was unfair to kind of paint Earl Watson with that Lindsay Hunter brush because people, I think, were a little lazy in the comparison. Well, on the surface, it looked very similar. That... That Lizzie Hunter situation was uh, was unique, and I think Earl Watson has all the makings of a good coach. I don't know if he's ready to to be that moving forward right now, but he has the makings of it, and, and he had the kind of people who were in his corner saying, yes, he, he will be a good coach. I never felt that with Lizzie Hunter.
1: No, I mean, there's been just examples of on-the-job that are strikingly different let alone how they got the job. I mean, Earl Watson can drop a play in a huddle. Lindsey Hunter was having Igor Kokoshkov sit in a chair by him to drop offense and timeouts. He just wasn't ready for the job. And, uh, you know, Earl Watson's been preparing all his life for this. Uh, You know, he's always envisioned himself as a coach. and um, He may not have a lot of professional coaching experience, having just been in the D-League last season and on the back row to start this season, but he had always envisioned this and coached at summer clubs and was always thought of as a coach on the floor, as a player, that sort of thing. And he, he, he's, he's pretty true to who he is, like in the way he speaks, people think there's a lot of positive and, uh, spirituality and rah, rah and all that to him, but that's who he is. It's, it's nothing fake. That's, that's how believe he believes he's to lead and for young guys that he's trying to develop it was it was the right touch for the to finish the season
0: yeah there was never a moment where I felt any of that was disingenuous like he he is fully bought into the his vision for how to coach and how to bring about as he calls it a program which is a very college mentality but he he valued the lessons he learned from guys like Wooden and Hubie Brown. And, and really, I, I, always, I always felt better when you listened to him talk. Now, did it get repetitive at times? Yes. It, did, he, did he talk about the same things a lot? Sure. But he always felt like he, he fully believed in it and knew what he was talking about when he talked to him.
1: Yeah, I mean, just the the stories he tells and the people he's been around. It's, you certainly are in, impressed by the influence he's had in his career. Like all the guys you said, and um, the players he's known, and the coaches he's known over the years, and what he reads outside, and what he's inspired by. It's you know, he's he's the type of person you'd want to you know talk to your kid in a down moment because you believe he could, he could pick them up and get them out of it with uh, some inspiration. Uh, but like you said, there's a lot to learn on the job and you know, I believe that, you know, this was all sort of set up for him to get this experience. You know, I think the, the preliminary move of removing Jerry Seasting and Mike Long Barty, uh, I think was to avoid the Lindsay Hunter type situation where a guy jumps over others. Mm-hmm. Um, it moved Earl Watson to the front row for a few weeks before Jeff Hornacek was fired and set up uh, the, the bump ahead. And so now he got the opportunity. He tried to go in and do too much right away and have three hour practices and, and fix everything all at once. And he realized he couldn't do that because the guys didn't have anything left. And so there's things like that, that he's, he's uh, needed this time to figure out. And he's a young coach, but this is a young team. And uh, you just, everybody would have to argue about how far away they are right now uh, they certainly are on the cusp of being a title contender so who's going to be the best to develop them over the couple of years and the players seem to believe it's Tim uh, not one player uh, doesn't want him to come back
0: well do you let's get into it then do you think that Earl Watson uh, you know general manager of Ryan McDonough on radio yesterday said that he wants a coach in place by May 11th, the Chicago Workouts. Do you think that coach come May 11th is Earl Watson?
1: Yeah, everything I'm getting right now is an indication of that um, story. I posted uh, what, yesterday or late last night on Easy Central was that um, all the sources internally and around the league believe he's the. The front runner now. The process can change it. Not to use a Earl Watson term about embracing the process, but uh, they they still are going to go through interviews, and they've obviously been planning a search for a while. And those things can change a plan. It it changed the plan when they hired Ryan McDonough. He wasn't the GM in mind when they started that. Somebody can come in and dazzle dazzle the front office or the owner, and and minds could be changed. So, um, but I think it definitely plays a huge part that all the players especially that the leaders that the, the front office has empowered so much uh, like Tyson Chandler and 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 Ronnie price and, and those guys uh, even somebody like that's a free agent like nurseed Toledovich who's basing his his de- decision to return on whether Earls there that that all plays a role
0: do you think that his message is one of those that is great in a three-month stint, like like this group just got, but might start to fall on deaf ears uh, in a full season if things don't turn around quickly. Is it one of those where okay, rah rah, go get him, love, uh, you know, all those messages that he preached might not sound as good if he's the one that that leads them into into losing post All Star break.
1: I do. I've always wondered that how how this extends over 82 games not, um, for everyone, for for fans, how he's received the media, how he's received by players. Um, but I also think he's adjusting uh, to the idea too, because he came into it as a guy that was not going to criticize anything, and like most coaches, that changes. You know, Jeff Hornacek said he was never going to rant and rave and scream on the sideline. And within a season, he was like, you know, <laughs> stomping up and down the stands and kicking the scores table and getting frustrated. It 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 has an effect on people. Uh, I've been extremely impressed with Earl Watson's cool about you know everything. Like he's he's not he might be living and dying with losses behind the scenes. as He says where he has to go play one on one out of frustration later to get it out of him. Uh, but he never shows that in, in a sideline demeanor, which is important, I think there was times where Jeff Hornacek outwardly was too frustrated with players and that, you know, that they they felt almost like showing up by it, that he was, you know, uh, kind of throwing his hands up at what they were doing and calling them out. So, But I think Earl Watson's uh, begun to criticize him a little bit, even publicly, and said, you know, he's, uh, he's directing his communication with players, which is one of the things that he gets uh, credited most for. And so I don't think it's surprising that, once in a while in public he would say what is unacceptable and what is acceptable and some of those areas of criticism are really just expectations for improvement in certain guys.
0: Outside of Earl Watson, what names are you hearing that are at least going to be considered and talked to in this process over the next month?
1: Yeah, it runs the gamut. Um, It depends on what what type of uh, guy you're looking at. Uh, For former head coaches, the the big names out there have been like Thibodeau and Brooks, but I think Brooks is, um, kind of already in line with some other teams Thibodeau is probably more expensive and for a process that would be further along than where the Suns are right now. Um, Kevin McHale's name has come up, but you know, he's still being paid by Houston. So, um, you would think whatever situation he goes into would have to be lucrative because he's basically getting paid anyway. So some, you know, it would, whatever deal would just offset what he uh, already got. Um, then you look into <clears throat> uh, some other guys that are like assistant coaches or college coaches. If have heard Jay Wright come up. He's, I think, also too pricey. If anything, I think you would expect he's in the NBA for leverage to stay at Villanova where everybody expects that he's uh, probably a lifer. All right, there's also a possibility that uh, Dan Marley would be considered and certainly that would be popular with, a lot of people, um, but he's in a great situation at GCU where he could probably stay there a long time. Um, and there's still some, some leftovers in the, uh, in the brass that, uh, made him upset when he left (laughs) that might prevent him from, uh, returning. Um, he's got a great situation there. And I, I think, you know, for everything he's got going in the Valley, otherwise with, you know, endorsements and sports bars and all that, you know, GCU seems to be an ideal fit and, he's really got something growing there. Um, and then, you know, assistant coaches would be like the lesser, uh, sexy route, unless it's Luke Walton, but Luke Walton's going to have his pick of jobs. You know, if he wants to leave and, you know, he's got Lakers background and a lot of people would be willing to probably pay a lot for, for him. And, uh, and he's got a lot of ties at Golden State who, who have some history and might, (laughs) you know, <laughs> steer him elsewhere, given what they feel uh, about the organization.
0: <laughs> I can't imagine who you're talking about, Paul.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you could make a list. It's not just one or two guys. You know, there's a, there's several people there, and even people who have moved on <laughs> from there. Um, so, um, you know, the, the other guys. There's some guys that are have been in the mix for other jobs, like Adrian Griffin and Jim Duranga. Duranga uh, uh, with the Celtics, Dixon was there when Ryan McDonough was an assistant GM there. So. Uh, there's a relationship there, but um, I've even heard some people throw out Jason Kidd. Now to me, that would take a lot. I mean, obviously he's coached the Bucks right now. Um, he has a history with the Suns. you know, something like that. In my mind would take something creative, like, you know, giving him a, a chunk of the team. You know, I don't think he's going to get the power of like running the basketball ops. Cause Robert Salver's obviously back to Ryan McDonough for next season too. But <clears throat> if they, uh, that would, be, that would definitely strike the sexy hire category. I
0: can't I, I can't see that one, though. We've dealt with so much dysfunction in Phoenix over the last six years, and you bring in a guy who ha- has ca- caused dysfunction with the Nets and hasn't had a massive amount of success. He's had some success, but I can't see Jason Kidd, especially if he's going to take a, a stake in ownership or something like that. It, it just doesn't seem to make sense. Have you heard, and I've read the rumors out there, Mike D'Antoni has a realistic possibility too?
1: You know, Mike, the, the side that Mike D'Antoni has interest is absolutely, tip. you know, he always planned on settling back in Phoenix at some point. Uh, he has said, you know, on the record that he wants another crack at being a head coach um, after the way things went in LA and New York before that. And, you know, when he, you know, when he talks about Phoenix, he always talks about the regret of leaving when he did. That you know, he wishes he had just taken some time to cool off after the season and not made such a uh, a hasty decision to to exit at the time uh, because of his relationship with with Steve Kerr and uh, just his uneasiness about the way things were and the, the pressure of what was expected of the team at the time. So um, now, whether that interest is reciprocal. Not sure about that yet. Uh, I think he left on good terms with Robert Sarver, despite all that, and maybe that's a factor to to get him engaged. But I think the other side of it is: is we all know Mike D'Antoni is a great coach and an offensive genius, but is he the right fit for this team? Is he the is he a, the right type of coach for the for Eric Bledsoe as a point guard? And uh, you know, it, this team is is still in development. Does he have the the patience with a younger team uh, to to do what's needed to do to build them up.
0: Hey, look, I, I love Mike as as much as the next guy, but I wonder <sighs> is he the right guy for any team that doesn't have a Steve Nash at point guard? Now he could probably do some great things with a Steph Curry, but it, it really took that kind of unique player on his offense for it to work. And I don't know – that him coming in like you mentioned really could make that happen with an Eric Bledsoe or a Brandon Knight. I just I don't see that as being a fit. So it's it's interesting to hear that all, all his the rumor of him being in the mix may have been more from from his side than than anything from the sun side.
1: Yeah, yeah. And you know Mike Dantonio used to always say he wasn't going to let anybody find out whether it was him or Steve Nash to be credited for that son's run that when, when Steve retired, he'd retire, sort of like pop talk about in San Antonio with Duncan. Uh, but but uh, he broke that. And, and certainly he was de- dealt some horrible hands with New York and L.A. And the climate of those two cities at the time did not help his job any. You know, he aged like a president on that next job.
0: Yeah, Maybe, um, maybe so, he should have taken his own advice there. Yeah, right. So I think we found out a little bit,
1: but it's also not a complete indignation of his coaching ability. It was just uh, a lot about those situations. All
0: right, Uh, you mentioned locker clean out earlier. There were some interesting comments from Brandon Knight when he was asked about whether or not he'd be willing to come off the bench. He said that he expects to play the same role he played this year. Does that comment worry you as to the chemistry situation that the Suns may find themselves in again with three guards that need minutes?
1: Uh, absolutely. Um, on two fronts, one, the, the, uh, the background of a three guard situation again, that everybody knew went haywire two years ago with joggers and Thomas and blood. So different, slightly different with those guys all expecting to be, uh, point guards with the ball in their hand. Um, and bookers a little bit different as a classic off guard, uh, and also Knights different in a guy that's been a point guard, but really started to play off the ball more. You know, ideally a lot of people believe he'd be a great six man. He's a streaky scorer, can fill it up. Uh, A lot of scouts believe he's more of an off guard and never really going to be a true point guard. He's also only 24, which we we talk about him like he's a lot older because he's been in the league for a little bit, but he's a guy that's already been traded twice since he's been in Phoenix. He's had two season ending surgeries Um, and you know, put up some career high numbers that were good and bad this year, points and turnovers. And um, so, you know, I think it's also worrisome from the chemistry standpoint, because he obviously hasn't blended great, greatly with this team yet. And he seems to uh, have had a hard time to get over the Milwaukee trade of last year, where they had a great situation going. He had great friends on that team, especially Chris Middleton. And it's never quite blended in with the team here in that same way yet. And even he'll admit that that's a big off season emphasis that they need to build that and get better than that. But a lot of that's on him too. And comments like he made today don't help that, um, you know, asked the asked a similar question about a reduced role. Devin Booker at 19 said, yeah, you know, that would make total sense. But so a night back, I, I probably should have a lesser role, you know, and it's just the professionalism and the maturity of that answer says a lot about him. And the idea that Brandon Knight dug in on insisting to be a starter in uh, in an exit interview today where it could have been uh, avoided or, or brushed over for a day that would last the whole summer <laughs> uh, was surprising.
0: Yeah, you, you make an interesting point in just how dramatically different those two guys are in terms of of personality, Devin comes off as, you know, almost the politician in a in a good way where he's great with everybody, he always has the right answer, he's very confident and then Brandon Knight having spent a lot of time around him, I I couldn't ever put my finger on what his personality was. He's very cerebral, he's very smart. But he seems like he struggles in in trying to have that personal side, and I I don't know if that's part of the issue for him, kind of getting to know those teammates because he is a, a fairly quiet individual, from what I've I've noticed. But he he is an interesting person, and sometimes I wonder if it's because he's so intelligent that he overthinks things at times. <clears throat>
1: Yeah, I've I've wondered that same thing. You're right. He's really smart. Um, He's off to himself a lot. You know, you've seen it too, where he he stays on the court and works by himself a lot. You know, he'll be uh, the last one out of the locker room after games, that sort of thing. Uh, It was, you know, we're still learning about him because he's not been around the team a lot since being here. He's been hurt. You know, I think 42% of the time is what I figured for the games he's been eligible for since he joined the Suns. He's missed for injury. And so obviously that's affecting his chemistry and there's times where his dynamic ability makes you think twice about everything you believe about him because he's had those 38 point games and those triple doubles. And that night after coming back from the injury that he had at Golden State where he made seven three-pointers in a row and helped the Suns give the Warriors all they wanted on their own court, Um, you know, stuff like that is really striking. And uh, he can be – Engaging at times because he is so smart, and there's also times where he can be uh, very distant and um, um, <clears throat> sensitive to question.
0: Yeah, I think if we've learned anything over the last handful of years, it's how important chemistry is when putting together a basketball team. So it'll be interesting to see how all that plays out. The the one nice thing, and we hear everybody talk about this cap explosion that's coming this summer and what it means for everybody having cap space. But I think one of the things that isn't really being talked about is how it impacts – Contracts like a Brandon Knight and like an Eric Bledsoe sign that, at the time, seemed like a pretty high number. Those are going to seem like pretty palatable contracts going into an off season where there's going to be a lot of guys that that potentially get overpaid. So it, it may open trade markets for guys like that as well, right?
1: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and I've already heard that that you know from people who know this stuff better than me and crunch numbers and, and project the league better uh, that if Brandon Knight at some point was on the trade buck, he has value. And I think a lot of people, because of the injuries and, and uh, his play at times, you know, shooting's not been where it was at Milwaukee for, for most of the time that he's been here. Wonder if he has the value to live up to that uh, $70 million deal. But like you said, with the cap shooting up this, coming year and the following year that changes that uh his age his scoring ability uh, makes him something that every team not every team but a lot of teams uh might have some need for and as as free agent prices skyrocket to some you know we're going to see contracts this summer that we're just not going to be able to digest (laughs) you know there's going to be players getting eight-figure contracts that we could have never imagined getting that and then that makes all of a sudden a guy like Brandon Knight that averages almost 20 points look pretty palatable at 14.
0: So so you mean Mirza Toledovic's of the world are going to be uh, doing pretty well for themselves come this summer?
1: Yeah, everybody who signed a one-year contract and had a great season needs to give their agent a bonus. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well,
1: And, that, you know, Mirza wants to come back, but, you know, him saying that, and him getting the offers that he's going to get July 1st is going to be a different thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I felt like he was very genuine in saying that, but you're right. When this money comes in from all these different teams, uh, he, he might quickly get outpriced from the Suns' range and what they're willing to spend uh, on him, and all that desire to come back is going to amount to, am I willing to take less money to be in a place that, that I enjoyed or am I going to take the payday, which is which is something we've seen a lot of guys go through over the years. Now I, I know it's early. I know last night was the last game of the season, but what are you hearing and what do you anticipate the Suns making a priority this off season in terms of players?
1: Yeah, Power Four is the position that they can probably make a difference maker on if they if they strike big in free agency, which is going to be difficult because everybody has the cap space to compete with, and there'll be teams with records that are a lot more appealing than a team coming off a twenty three and fifty nine season, but they've got nobody under contract to power forward, unless you're starting to consider Alex Wynn a power forward, which is in his future. Um, so yeah, they're gonna, they're going to have to address that, and um, you know the the category that they really want to address overall is turnovers. Now, that's not really something necessarily that it will be a personnel thing. Um I mean I suppose you could remove one of the people that have been a turnover issue. Um, you know, Eric Wedstell and Brandon Knight both had career high averages and turnovers this year. Uh Dem Booker was put in some difficult situations as a rookie to have high turnovers. The team led the league in turnovers. So I think a lot of that is will be more involved with the coaching hire and the emphasis um on what guys work on in the off season and, and the style of play for training camp and all that to address that. So, uh, you know, and with the cap space that they have, which, you know, is excess of 20 million, depending on which way you go creatively with it and where the cap number actually ends up, it it doesn't necessarily go toward just going after one big star. You know, it it could be um, going with other strikes that, uh, seem more appealing. Um, now, I think they also, one of the appeals of having guys like Tyson Chandler and perhaps bringing back Earl Watson is they feel like those guys can help land players. And uh, so, you know, they're, I'm sure one of the things we'll be hearing over the next few months is that some of their biggest acquisitions will be guys that they already have <laughs> Eric Bleddell getting healthy, TJ Warren being healthy, uh, Brandon Knight being healthy possibly Bogdan Bogdanovich joining the team. He's eligible to come over from Europe this season, and they're going to go talk to him once the EuroLeague ends. Um, But then again, that that enters into that guard dynamic and whether there's room for him.
0: Uh, Talking about the guard dynamic, is it fair to call Devin Booker the face of the franchise going forward? Because I've seen it written. I've heard people talk about it. I feel like that is a very, very tough position to put a 19-year-old kid in. No matter how well he played this year and the amount of confidence he showed, it just feels like an immense amount of pressure to put on him.
1: Yeah, it is. And, I mean, he handles, it like you said, all that stuff publicly really well. Um, I, I, Robert Sarver once said he's potentially a, a face of the franchise, which I think is probably the more correct way to say it, but the way it's being handled already, he kind of is. Like, who do you see in most of the Suns promotional materials right now? Whether it be city billboards or commercials or or, or in-house, that sort of thing. It's Devin Booker, uh, because he's the most popular player on the team. It's not the best player on the team, but he's the most popular player. And what I think he is, is, you know, most NBA teams want to eventually get that star tree. I think they have a guy that could be part of a star trio eventually i don't, I don't know if he's definitely going to be the best player on the team four or five years from now uh... but he definitely could be part of a triumvirate that could lead a team
0: my biggest fear with him is you're going to see inevitably his numbers are likely going to drop next year with an eric bledsoe back and other guys coming into into the scoring mix and i fear that people are going to freak out if that's the case because oh, look, he was so great last year, and now his numbers are dropped, but he's going to be more efficient in the way he's scoring, too. And I really hope the pressure's taken off of him when Eric Bledsoe comes back and he shares the load as kind of the face of the franchise. Because on the inside, I can explain some of why uh, Devin Booker wound up on those promotional materials and billboards and stuff was the pure fact that you know, Eric Bledsoe, Brandon Knight, uh, even Tyson Chandler at certain times was injured, so it became very difficult to market around guys that that were injured. But I just I fear that you'll see a slight drop in his production, and it, the sky will be falling for certain yeah. fans next year.
1: Yeah, but I I think you said the key word in there efficiency. I think you know he wound up shooting thirty four point three percent on threes. I had to just look that up while you're saying, I'm not going (laughs) to pretend like I know that off the top of my head. Uh, (laughs) But I think we all think Devin Booker is a better shooter than that. And I think most people would agree that, but he had to take so many difficult shots in the early, but now if you think of the guy that Devin Booker was early in the season, when there was no focus defensively from the other team scouting reports on him and Eric Bledsoe and Brandon Knight were out there on the court too. And, and he was, what did he start off, 14 of 19 on threes or something like that? Oh,
0: yeah, it, was, and just, it was crazy. He had the best <coughs> uh, three-point shooting percentage of anybody in, in the history with at least 15 attempts at one point. Like It was It was insane how efficient he was, and you're right, the second that he had to carry the load, that dropped off the table.
1: Yeah, but then we found out about other parts of his game that we didn't know in the beginning of the season when he was a role bench guy getting minutes here or there. Now, now we found out Wow, he can handle a pick and roll, which he never did at Kentucky. He's got a floater. He can post up a smaller guy because he's six six. Wait till he puts some weight on that body. Um, he can make great decisions, and he he's a good passer and he's smart. Uh, he's got a long way to come defensively, <laughs> and but he's nineteen years old and he's got probably a nineteen year career ahead of him <laughs> uh, with a lot of time uh, to learn and gain experience. And uh, one of the biggest benefits. Will be just adding size and strength, and we all know the training staff is going to be the best place for him to change his body. And uh, it might not happen in a year, uh, but that that's going to change a lot in the next two or three years. And guys won't be able to just out muscle like they can now.
0: Yeah, if he if he becomes a marginal defender, he'll become pretty close to a complete player. And and going into this season, I don't think anybody would have really guessed that. I think we all thought. He's a three-point shooter, but that athleticism was impressive. His instincts on the court were fantastic and we all got to got to learn what a- an impressively mature young man he is for 19. Paul, I got a few more quick ones for you have in in your in-depth reporting. Have we have we figured out what is going to be the lucky charm for uh for draft lottery because somebody's gotta figure this out. The the luck has to change at some point, right?
1: Yeah, we we've, we've sort of had that uh, internal pressure and debate about who the uh who the guy that gets sent to New York for the lottery is gonna be to change the around. Um, I think Devin Booker. That's what I think. Like who's who's more popular, who looks better up there? But it also could be whoever the new coaches, I think. And, and those are the two that Immediately come to mind. Uh I have had, been bit, What do you
0: got? I've always had this suggestion, and I actually made it in a meeting once, uh, and obviously got laughed out of the room for it. But if this curse started with the coin toss, why not send Kareem up there as your representative, <laughs> the embodiment? How about of the, the Hawks?
1: They actually won that coin
0: toss. Yeah. Either way, you know, or <laughs> put put the 1964 uh, silver half dollar. Up there as you represent some some embodiment of whatever started started this uh, quote unquote curse and let's break this thing think outside the box everybody sends their hot rookie or their head coach or their GM let let's go completely outside the box and try to break this I, I bet nobody is how about said, the
1: best mascot in the NBA
0: I would love to see that I've heard the NBA does not want mascots there though but I think uh, sending go in full tuxedo uh, out there <laughs> would be fantastic i think I think that's one of the one of the better ideas that I'm sure the NBA won't allow uh, I, some for some reason uh, you know that's a a, a very uh, you know hollowed ground up there that you can't you can't do that there's a lot of things you can have. Within the NBA, but apparently draft lottery is not one of those. But you got to get creative with somehow breaking this curse. And all right, one one it can't la- be Mark West anymore. The poor guy's been sent there too many times. Why don't Why don't they send Keefe? You know, just to, with you know, one last thank you, and send him there and and see if he'll do it for you. Uh, maybe they maybe tried that last year. That's true. Maybe, maybe they'll send. Maybe the Wizards will send Mark <laughs> as their, as their re- representatives, they have to you be know,
1: there. Just the Suns' luck, they'll probably get the third pick. They'll probably <laughs> win a lottery move-up but get third because it's a top-two draft this yeah. year, just like when they the biggest draft lottery success they ever had was moving up to two in David Robinson's year, and they got Armand Dill.
0: Now, you you know what will really happen is the Wizards will move up into that Into that top three, the Suns will wind up at seven, and that'll be that's the way things really go, Paul. You know that's that's the way things have trended. One last topic for you: the Suns announced this week that their D League affiliate will be moving from Bakersfield, the Bakersfield Jam. They'll be moving up to Prescott Valley. And uh, they've become the Northern Arizona Suns. Now I think we all agree that it is a good thing, basketball-wise, because it's much easier to uh, send guys to the D League and recall them faster. You can have more say in things. But I want to talk about the name. I was I was really disappointed, and and I love I love my marketing people over the Suns. I know plenty of people. I know that they probably didn't have a whole lot of say in it, but they went with the Northern Arizona Suns. And I thought, come on, you could have been the crush and worn orange jerseys. You could have been the orange crush. Somebody suggested on Twitter the uh, Northern Arizona Shazam, you know, give a little love to Al McCoy. I just, I felt it was a little uninspired, Paul. How about you?
1: Yeah. um, I think the idea that, oh, this is what D-League teams are doing, it's not really. There's only like, uh, I think, three or four other teams that are using their parent team's name. Most others are, are doing like you said, something creative. Northern Arizona doesn't even roll off the tone. Tongue, although I'm wondering with the, uh, the Twitter handle, another thing, if they're going to be like Naz or something like that, because there's a lot of NAZ sons out there. Um, I think you and I chatted a little bit about this previously. And I told you, I, I got a great suggestion on Twitter from somebody who said Prescott Hotshots would have been a great name to honor the Yarno firefighters and then Hot Shots ties into Suns and basketball and you get the perfect triumvirate. Um that was pretty cool I thought.
0: Yeah, I that would that would have been fantastic and uh I'll be interested to see if I've, I've heard some rumors on on the jerseys and stuff but I'll be interested to see how this brand evolves. I'm I'm a nerd, you know that about this uh kind of stuff. <laughs> so I think it'll be I hope it's not a sunburst in a pine tree. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't even think we're going to get Get that creative out of it, but uh, I think it'll be interesting to watch that brand evolve and see what the Suns do with this. I think it'll be a good thing for Prescott Valley, but it'll be an interesting uh, experiment to watch. Uh, Paul, I think I'm going to let you go. I know, uh, I know, you're a bit of a bachelor right now, and you, you probably are sick of of talking Suns. You, you probably want to start your off season uh, right now and enjoy a little time To kick back, so Paul, uh, why don't you let people know how they can find you on Twitter and uh, any anything you got coming up potentially on AZ Central Sports?
1: Uh, yeah, Twitter handle is at Paul Coro, just my name, C O R O is the last name, and uh, all stuff's on uh, AZCentral.com. Uh, the Sun's page on there is where you can find there's a Sun's Extra app if you want to download that and just get strictly your Sun's news. Um, coming up, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that will still come out of extra interviews. I also uh, will have a piece in the next uh, day or so uh, with Ryan McDonough, kind of a sit-down extensive interview about all his views about the future, the draft, free agency, uh, even what went wrong in the past uh, season. Um, So that'll be coming real soon.
0: I'm still waiting for uh, your farewell piece on me as well. So uh, I'm sure we'll be waiting a while for that one. (laughs) That's such
1: an epic that It's going to break the internet, so we're trying to wait for the Kobe stuff to to die down before it comes.
0: I'm I'm glad you're respectful of that. He is Paul Coro. Definitely give him a follow on Twitter. You're going to want to stick with him all offseason. He'll have all your son's breaking news. This has been another episode of No Character Limits here on NoCharacterLimits.com. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, leave a review. It helps the show continue to go. You can also find us on SoundCloud and new. Since the last time we talked, you can find the show on Stitcher. You can also follow me on Twitter, at Espo. Always want to hear your guest suggestions, any thoughts you have about the show. So for Paul Coro, I am Greg Esposito, and we'll talk to you here next time on No Character Limits.